When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. Have I brushed my hair today? I'm not telling, but probably not. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my own in 2020 by taking a series of unpaid internships. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and in a hotel. And then I wrote a book about it, My What If Year is Coming from Zibby Books in February 2023. I am obsessed with the idea that you can turn your passion into your career and that it's never too late to make your dream a reality. So before you decide to quit your day job, listen to my guests as they offer a glimpse into what their worlds are really like behind the scenes. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. Today, I am super excited to introduce you to a double act, the married couple, John and Desiree Chantarasak, who are the team behind Anglo Thai. Anglo Thai is a restaurant concept that marries traditional Thai recipes with seasonal British ingredients, all complemented with a low intervention but super high delicious wine program. I know from personal experience how truly delicious their food is. John, who is the chef, is of half British and half Thai heritage, and he's got a wealth of experience cooking around the world. He's worked in acclaimed Thai restaurants, Somme in London and Nam in Bangkok. He's been on Great British Menu and was twice shortlisted as Chef of the Year at the Young British Foodie Awards. He was Chef to Watch at the National Restaurant Awards in 2022, and he's the author of Kin Thai, which is a new incredible cookbook that is on shelves now. Desiree, his co-founder, started her career in graphic design before she moved into hospitality, public relations, website design, and then management for independent restaurants. <gasps> Phew! Then Desiree decided to start studying wine. She studied at the Wine and Spirit Education Trust and worked in roles within independent wine bars across central London, writing wine lists, leading tastings, introducing me to super, super delicious things I never, ever would have otherwise tried— and together, they have created Anglo Thai. Anglo Thai has delivered numerous sold-out residencies and has been featured in local and national media, Sunday Times, Vanity Fair, Esquire, The Guardian, the list goes on and on. And watch this space because hopefully they're going to have some exciting restaurant news to announce very soon. So, John and Desiree, welcome to Quit Your Day Job. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. This is very exciting. And special guest, Rufus, in case you hear any fun baby noises, he's joining us for the podcast today, which I think is pretty appropriate when you have a husband and wife team working together because lots of times baby just comes along. So that is exactly as it should be. And we're delighted to have all three of you on the podcast. And so I like to do a little warm up. I've given you an impossible question, as you said. My original question was top five meals 
you've ever eaten or eaten in a time-bound period. But John, you said that was too hard. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually tried to think about that before. And it, it really depends because I think you, especially in what in our profession in hospitality, we eat at a lot of restaurants and your taste kind of changes as the years go on. So what I used to think was like, oh my God, amazing, possibly isn't my to my taste anymore. And de- definitely like with restaurants as well, you range from casual to fine dining. So, you know, what might have been an amazing meal in a 20 course fine dining restaurant might not be something that other people find amazing. And, and actually now, especially with having a young family and also struggling a little bit to go to those kind of restaurants and eat out the the simple pleasures of going to like a burger joint and having a burger and a beer is is kind of super nice these days. So true. We have a restaurant here in Edinburgh called the Scranton Scally. It's uh, Tom Kitchen, one of his places. And the food is delicious. It's gastropub, but it has a playroom in the restaurant. And we, every time we bring people there with children, it's like a revelation, especially I'd say two and up. Rufus is maybe too small. The kids just go to the playroom. You have like a nice grown up meal. And it's just this like magical experience. Even if the food was terrible, which it's not, we'd probably still go there because we're like, ah, children. That sounds amazing. I know. Oh well, I we'll bring like we some of those. We'll bring you guys next time you come up. But um, oh, how about how about like I don't know. Let's see. What about like your if someone's coming to London for a visit? Top five places you're going to tell them to eat right now. Or did you think of a top five? I was thinking about top five meals, but instead of meals, there's like there's definitely like a few that I can remember. But there's like restaurants where I've had a sort of like a revelation, should we say, Epiphany. a yes. bit of a, re- a relapse in my mind where I kind of my eyes roll back and I don't say anything for a little bit. And Desiree's like, uh-oh, he's, he's, he's going to that place. Yeah, it makes us slightly dull for, like, initial dates, where, like, one of the first places that John, I think, will mention, there was just sort of silence for quite a quite a while and kind of staring into the dish. And, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Am I boring but, him or what? <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean, I think for, for, for me personally, there's not too many moments where I'm eating food in a restaurant and I'm surprised I guess or I'm so intrigued about like how it's done what ingredients are being put together because normally I would I mean I'm not I'm not confessing to say that I'm the best chef in every cuisine but I'd like to think I could try something and be like oh I sort of understand what's being going on here I could probably like give this a very estimated guess at home and come out with something relatively close yep there's definitely a few times so a restaurant that I really think is pioneering at the moment probably the in my opinion the best restaurant in London but it won't be for everyone so a restaurant called Ikoi and it's just recently won its second Michelin star wow but they are kind of defined as modern African food I guess you'd say so Jeremy Chan he's got I think he's half Chinese half Canadian and he cooks this cuisine from Africa I think his business partner's from Africa originally. But he is one of those places where I eat the combinations of ingredients with the sort of layers of complexity with spice and flavors. And I'm my mind just starts boggling. Wow. So much so that I had to go and do a two-week stage there in April because I was like, I need to know what's going on in this restaurant. Oh my God, how cool. Yeah, it was great. I mean, they they really like for me, I think it's the it's food that really suits my palate because he does use a lot of spice, not necessarily chilies, but like 
dry spices and peppercorns and but he applies that to quite classical techniques at times so the, the food is really interesting I definitely recommend that for people love it there's also a restaurant that doesn't exist any longer but it was called uh, Taberna do Mercado and it was a restaurant by Nuno Mendes Nuno is one of the great chefs of London originally from from Lisbon mm-hmm. and he's had Several restaurants. He was involved with Chilton Firehouse back in the day. Yeah, yeah. He kind of, I think, made his name with a restaurant called Vigante, where he won a Michelin star in East London. Wow. But Taberna was kind of like a more relaxed style, Portuguese Taberna style restaurant. Quite like comfort food and simple in a lot of ways. But I remember Desiree and I went when it opened and there was a few things where I was just like, what is going on here? This is crazy flavors, but super delicious. So unfortunately, that restaurant shut, but Nuno's actually recently opened a new restaurant called Lisboeta on Charlotte Street in Marlebon. And that's kind of his love letter to Lisbon food and Lisbon restaurants. So that's, we've been there a couple of times already. It's only opened very recently. So that's another one you could go to. There was a, a meal that we ate in just outside of Bologna. Oh, yes. In an osteria. Oh, pretty special. We were staying with a winemaker just outside of Bologna. And he took us to this restaurant. We drove to this restaurant. We'd never heard of it before. It was a place where he said he'd been going since he was a kid. He was probably in his mid-40s. We got there and obviously everyone knew who he was and we didn't see a menu really. We just kind of sat down and it was quite unusual. They actually specialised in cooking like whole animal, I guess, but there was quite a lot of offal on the menu. Mm -hmm. And I know that will probably turn a few people away. But it was really done in a very sympathetic way that everything was cooked with such care and the flavours were so delicious and all the pastas that they made were were just really simple, but three ingredients that you could tell were super local, super seasonal and everything just... Oh, Rufus is having... Rufus he didn't did get not, to go. He didn't got to go. He's there. mad about that. But yeah, everything was super delicious there. And I can't remember the name. It's like an Osterio, I think. Yeah. But that was like... I remember at the time thinking like, wow, this is definitely a top five meal I'm eating right now. Just because you're sort of not expecting it as well. So when it takes you by surprise, that's amazing. And then I've had a a few good meals in Thailand, probably Mm -hmm. um, not to be surprised, but there's a a chef called Prin Paulson who I worked with at Nam in, in Bangkok. He was actually the head chef at the time, but he's gone on to do his own thing now. And he has a sort of small chef's counter style restaurant that he runs with his wife called Samdub Samdub Thai. And basically Prin looks at ancient Thai recipe books, pulls out, he kind of finds a vein or a a concept for each month. So every month he changes the menu. And for instance, he'll be like, okay, let's do Thai food influenced by Japanese culture or something. How cool. And he'll just go and research it he'll go to like the province where he thinks it's the most relevant and then he'll meet all these new people doing like suppliers and ingredients and things and then he'll just make a menu based on recipes he's read but his kind of interpretation of that and i've had i've definitely had like a good a couple of good meals by prin so that's another that's another one i guess okay i don't know what about you that's four so diz take us home okay so i I think one of the meals I really, really loved recently was when we went at, actually, it's just outside Manchester in Stockport. It's a place called Where the Light Gets In. 
and it's the most beautiful building but you kind of enter it in these sort of down this cobbledy street up these stairs around the side of a, a building and you go in and it's just so light it kind of almost feels like it could have been I don't know like a chapel or, or something but it's just this one little room and just sort of you eat at the kitchen it's all very I don't know it was all very kind of zen and calm, but everything was absolutely delicious. Mm. And like we were lucky enough to go and see their gardens, which they have um, across Stockport. Um, like they've converted an old parking lot, and the stuff they're growing there is just phenomenal. And wow. it's, it's all really kind of focused on a lot of like British and homegrown. And it was yeah, I remember it being pretty special. And actually, I I was pregnant at the time, and so I. I did their like non-alcoholic pairing yeah and some of the drinks they had were so sensational and I felt no, in no need like like I felt you like didn't I miss it yeah. yeah exactly yeah 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 and yeah that was a really special like whole evening but it's an experience really well and it's it's funny that's like one of the things that I love about the Anglo Thai pop-ups that you guys do is that it's not and I think it's the same for any good meal really it's the food is obviously a huge piece of it but it's the food the wine the ambiance it's how how it makes you feel right to like Mm, sort of have this have this incredible meal so that was an excellent top five thank you guys very much and we've got uh John and Rufus popping in and out but this is (laughs) But this is life. This is, you guys are a double act. This is life as a married couple that work together with a baby. And you guys have come together and you have sort of been propelling Anglo Thai to what it is today with all of these exciting things on the horizon. Now, I've known you both for a long time, but not yeah. everybody knows you as well as I do. So um, tell us a little bit about your journey to Anglo Thai. So I guess. To put it into context, Anglo Thai is the restaurant concept that we've been working on for a number of years. I've been working on it a little bit longer, but essentially, in a nutshell, it kind of speaks of the two sides of my heritage. So I am half British, half Thai, and the food that we try to, or that I try and cook at the restaurant, is Thai recipes. So things that I know from maybe my family back home, street corner stuff I've had, or restaurants that I've worked in. But I try and use as much British kind of seasonal produce as possible to deliver those those dishes. Try and stay true to the flavours of Thailand, but try and think outside the box on a more sustainable way, I guess. But for me, I've I've had to answer this a few times recently. But I've yeah, kind you're of on the book promo circuit, so yeah. Uh... <laughs> I had to, if you want to know the full backstory, please buy my cookbook and read the first chapter. Excellent. <laughs> no, so it was 2012. So about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I was a bit disillusioned with what I was doing in London. I kind of lost my way in other sort of paths of life that I was trying to do for career wise. And I decided the best thing to do was to give it all up and run away, basically. Fabulous. So I went to America, actually, for six, I think it was six or eight months and embarked on a road trip from New York to uh, San Francisco or maybe even Portland. I can't really remember now, but I just zigzagged across the States, really. And it was a great experience. I can't. And and during that time, I sort of realized that I was planning my next stop based on restaurants and food and things like that. So it got me thinking that maybe I was more interested than I thought in in food and hospitality. 
And one thing led to another. I kind of decided that I was going to try my hand at culinary school. I ended up by chance enrolling in Le Cordon Bleu in Bangkok and I got on the programme and I came back from, from America and basically washed my clothes, repacked my bag and flew Just to went. Bangkok and didn't really think about it too much at the time until I got there and realised, what am I doing? I can't speak Thai. I've never cooked in a professional kitchen before and <laughs> Now I've just spent a few thousand pounds to enroll on a course out of complete, complete, just like madness, really. But fortunately, I got on really well with it. I think I was, a, you know, you, you go at these things a little bit more mature mindset. Mm. So I kind of embraced the learning and that kind of stuff and sidelined all the drinking and going out and actually found that I was relatively okay at cooking and I, I thrived on learning about it and I found it really enjoyable and you know I've I've got a business economics degree so going to kind of like I guess university but being very practical mm. felt such a different way of doing it and it was something I I think I sort of found my calling that I was a bit more of a hands-on type person rather than a mm-hmm. brainsy type person so yeah I did the course in Bangkok while sort of living there going out eating food ended up working in restaurants in Thailand and eventually kind of got myself into restaurants that were cooking Thai cuisine and cooking it on very high level. One restaurant in particular called Nam and Chef David Thompson, he at the time was, he kind of revolutionized Thai cuisine around the world. And he'd won a Michelin star in London with that restaurant before relocating it to Bangkok. In Bangkok, it was named number one restaurant in Southeast Asia. It was in the world's top 50 So it was definitely like not only an introduction to Thai food on a different level, but just an introduction to being in a restaurant, being in a kitchen on that level. And it was just, I found it super exciting. And kind of since that experience, I never really looked back. I came back to London and got involved opening Thai restaurants in the UK. And now I've just sort of found my my path to opening our own Thai restaurant in the UK, which is really exciting. I am fascinated. I've, I wanted to have someone in food, a chef on the podcast for a while, because I think a lot of people love food, eating food. I think a lot of people love cooking, but I think going from being a sort of amateur to a professional is a big leap, right? Like it is not the same to just enjoy cooking for friends in your kitchen as it is to do what you do. Yeah. It's a different mindset completely. A lot of what I learned at Le Cordon Bleu really set the foundation for giving me confidence that I could do this. And a lot of it wasn't just about picking up a knife and cutting some vegetables. It was about organization, hygiene, time management, that kind of stuff. Mm. And you were put under like, you did essentially like weekly kind of cook-off type things where you were kind of put under pressure straight away. I think you sort of learned quite quickly that it was a high pressure scenario that you put yourself in. But on the flip side, one of the things I like the most about being in this profession and cooking is that you it's very simple and it's very like closed loop in a lot of ways. You sort of buy the ingredients, you prepare them, you cook them, guests eat them, hopefully they enjoy it, and then they pay for it, and that's the day done, and you just kind of go about that every single day. I mean, yeah. that's it on a very basic level, but it's very gratifying, I think, that you can get that sort of satisfaction on a daily basis, and I know... You know, for example, my brother's an architect and he'll work on a project for four years and he might not even see the end of it because he right. might move on to the next thing. And it's like, 
I find that very a bit a little bit dissatisfying for me. I think it just needed to be a little bit more like black and white, how simple that life could be. And like you say, a lot of people enjoy food. Everyone needs to eat food. You know, that's an essential part of life. So just felt like it made so much more sense to just do something that was much more practical. Now I can feed myself really well, which is great. And and me occasionally when I get to see you. Occasionally. A big perk of our friendship. Yeah. So uh, the past few years have been kind of insane, right? So on the one hand, your cooking career has been taking off. You've been winning awards. You were on the Great British Menu. You've got this cookbook out now. On the other hand, we had the pandemic, which was so, so difficult for the entire industry. You know, how? first of all, tell me about like what you guys did. I know you did a lot of creative things during lockdown with food and with Anglo-Thai. And how does it feel now to be sort of, you are in the kitchen, but you're also kind of in the spotlight? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic was an interesting time for sure. I think we probably did the same thing that 95% of the country did, which was get in our swim shorts and sit in our back garden for the heat wave and <laughs> drink all of the alcohol that was in our house. It was a great time. Yeah, it was it was it was good <laughs> until well, it was it was good until they just sort of had that reality check after a couple of months of like, am I what am I doing? Like, Why are we still is, am here? I really just, yeah. Am I really trying to become that addicted to alcohol? So we, we were really lucky with um, some like at home kits. We did like an at home hot, like Thai hot dog as our kind of getting ourselves out of the sunbathing and doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was brilliant. And it, it meant like that kind of snowballed into getting a, a residency all summer for like the exact four months that we you were allowed to have a restaurant that year essentially and it was the best summer we had really like just John and I like I did all the front of house the washing up like all the wines John cooked everything it was it was very honest yeah it was very unique. yeah it was really kind of like you you sort of stripped everything back to basics we I mean I know the pandemic hit everyone hard we obviously felt it in our own way, but in some ways we were quite fortunate. You know, we hadn't opened a restaurant yet. We'd sort of been planning this in the background, but we were nowhere near like ready for that. And unfortunately, Desiree lost her job because she had a day job at the time. And we just kind of were able mm -hmm. to say, well, there's only two of us. Like, what do we want to do? Do we just like get drunk today or do we pivot and do something else? And we were, because it was just the two of us, we were able to, change our mindsets quite quickly and like Desiree said we were thrown a few lucky things which meant that we did like the mailbox home mailboxes which I think a lot of people took their hand to we did manage to do some service and cooking that year I think and it was in that year that uh, Hardy Grant approached me about doing the cookbook so mm -hmm. that was just another big thing to do and fortunately we just managed to stay busy and kept treading water and that's, I think, what a lot of people did in the industry. But like I say, we didn't have the same burdens of having to furlough entire staff right. and worrying about, like, is our landlord right. going to be raining down on us to get rent? Because at some point, someone needs to pay something for yeah. all of this stuff. So, yeah, we we just kind of, like, ticked on by and did our thing. And I think, essentially, we just kept the brand relevant and in the public eye and actually... From that year, it was, we met, we'd, we'd known our partners before then, but we kind of had a serious conversation with them. And that was a point where they were like, guys, we know you guys have Anglo-Thai, we love it. We've been to it a couple of times as a pop-up, but 
before the pandemic, we kind of talked about opening as a small sort of local wine bar. Mm-hmm. And they knew that that was our intent. But after the pandemic, they kind of came up to us and said, guys, you know, do you want to open a restaurant? Like, we really believe this could be something amazing for, for London. But obviously, we, you know, we can't just be opening a 20 seat wine bar with you guys because commercially that yeah. makes no sense for a restaurant group. But when we had that conversation, it was a bit of a, yeah, we'll have to think on it. But it was a complete no brainer. We were like, yeah, yeah we're definitely going to have to do that. Amazing. And what percentage of your time would you say you guys spend thinking about food or wine? And what percentage are you thinking about business? Because you are, you're running a business, you know, it is a business that's focused on food and wine and experience. But at the end of the day, you know, there are commercials that you have to make. I mean, are you spending a lot of time thinking about those things? Are they coming, you know, how much, what, if you had to like break it down percentage wise, what would you say? For me nowadays, it's a hundred percent and zero percent in a lot of ways. Everything becomes an inspiration now. I've sort of, I have a idea about how I cook and it's usually always rooted in a dish from Thailand, but now, but it deviates so much now. I've tried to really kind of create my own original genre of food, I guess. And, and because of that, I try and take inspiration from anything that happens in the day. I'm quite fortunate that because I've been doing it for a while now, but writing menus and coming up in, with dishes and things like that, isn't something that I have to sit down and like labor over anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, if anything, I feel like I kind of put the brakes on that a lot of the time because I don't want to think up loads of stuff and then realize we're not going to open a restaurant for another year. And then by that year, I'm like, well, I'm not excited by that stuff anymore. Yeah, you'll have thought of something different. Yeah, I'm 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 quite transient, like Desiree will tell you. Like I move on from one idea to the next super, super quickly. So I've had to kind of put the brakes on that a little bit because there's a lot of good stuff that I want on a restaurant menu, but we're still not quite there that that's open yet. So I want to make sure that my, my biggest fear is that I've reached that point where I'm like, Oh my God, I've run out of inspiration and ideas and, and I've wasted it all on <laughs> cooking home. Cooking I meals don't think you're it. ever going to get that there. Will never happen. <laughs> I agree with the Syria. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So Ziri is now out of the picture I'm on the floor. Okay, we're swapping over. We're swapping over. But Rufus is just real adorable with his stripy bottom. Did you, you had a lot of, you worked in a lot of different jobs before you kind of landed on wine and Anglotize. So tell me a little bit about what attracted you eventually to kind of this space. And, you know, was it always something that you wanted to do? Was it you kind of meeting John and being part of this world? Like, tell me your, what's your, what's your journey, your journey to Anglotize? Well, I mean, so yeah, as you, as you say, I had like loads of different kind of 
different jobs. I actually studied to be a graphic designer at university. So I ended up kind of doing that, sort of finding my way a little bit with that. Ended up working like at Amazon for a few years as a production designer. And that's when I met John, actually. And I remember, so we we sort of started dating and I, I remember quite early on, obviously I have a nine to five job and John most definitely doesn't. And I think he worked like Wednesday till Saturday. So Sunday, Sunday, Monday were our like date nights mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so all those other days that he was working, I was like, okay, I, I need to get a hobby. And essentially I was like, <laughs> what, do I, what do I like doing? Drinking wine. So I went and did the WSET level two in my evenings. And I absolutely loved it. Like I, I was never, I, I didn't remember kind of loving school, but when I was studying my level two, I just, I, I fell in love with the whole process, met some amazing people. And off the back of that, I, I kind of wanted to, make sure I didn't just sort of not not use the skills that I was learning so mm. I ended up getting a job in an amazing little natural wine bar in Clapham North called Cellar uh, or Divine Cellars uh, SW4 and that was really great and that so I kind of stepped up what I was doing in wine more and more and then ended up leaving Amazon so it, it kind of was, it was sort of more and more of a like quite a smooth transition yeah yeah and obviously I was kind of more sort of involved in what John was doing and I was always around hospitality and it's such a beautiful world like there is so much love within hospitality like the community is just incredible like I mean even now with Rufus like there's this amazing parents in hospitality group which my friends do and see friends who now have babies like after all these years as well and you're like oh my god I didn't even know you guys were pregnant but haven't seen you in ages how's the restaurant it's it's such a like it's such a wonderful thing to be part of and I feel very lucky to just get to sort of know these people really like everyone is so hard working like the hours are crazy you you have to love it and like give your life to it so it's it's really lovely that there is this kind of support network um so yeah just kind of fell in love with it more and more I love that and it ha- I mean it, you're right it has to be something you love because it's not the most hospitable working experience right like yeah. a lot of nights it's yeah. a lot of intensity. Mm. You know, you guys have both worked several jobs for other people before embarking on your own project together. What is best and worst about being your own bosses now? Best is that we curate our day and decide what we want to do when we want to do it, I suppose. Like we have complete control over what also what work we want to do or not. Like it's the control, I suppose. And yeah. uh, you have the sort of final say. Especially with this guy, where it's oh, that one. It's a little bit ad hoc now, even more so, mm-hmm. which which is great. But but this definitely allows us to do that. Even traveling, it like it gives us the ability to go to Austria on a wine trip, which we have just got back from, mm. or go to, to Thailand, which we did took Rufus for a month when he was three months old. Like having that ability and sort of control is an absolute joy. I think the, wor- the, the worst, I wouldn't say it's the worst, but it's like a harder side of it. 
you know, like grass. There's there's always like grass is always greener. Mm. And people think that it's like so glamorous to run your own business. As as you know, it's there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And at the end of the day, someone needs to be accountable for the business. And that really stops at you. Yeah. You know, you can, I mean, it's going to be the case as well. We'll, we'll hire people and we'll delegate work, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, at some point, it will, the, the, the accountability has to end with you. So, for example, if someone complained in the restaurant that they don't like something for whatever reason, that's fine. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to listen to criticism and constructiveness in terms of fixing those things. But actually, really, that kind of responsibility lies with you as an employer, you as like the director of your own business, because you know, some chef, however much they're going to love working for you and working for Anglo Thai, they, they'll never be able to love it on the same scale that you do. Mm. It's like, it is a baby to you. And yeah, it's hard to make people in fact I think it's impossible to make anyone work as hard for your business as you will ever work for your business and that's that's one of those like great but also damaging parts of having (laughs) your own business I suppose yeah the staffing I think like as well what what, something I'm most nervous about when we open the restaurant exactly this is the staffing like this it's it's kind of we're hoping it's kind of coming out of the crisis that it has been but yeah it's actually it it is a bit nerve-wracking like having to worry about finding people really so I think that's going to be another challenge for it yeah. for sure. definitely ahead of you and you know I'm sure you guys get this all the time I get this question all the time because as you know my husband and I have business together but how you know working together as a married couple I think people are always fascinated by how you make that work but how do you guys divide work and home do do you it does everything just like meld into one you know how do you how do you guys manage that uh that complex relationship it is getting better strangely even though things are getting more intense with more responsibility but I think actually the main turning point for me personally was starting a family and having Rufus and then realizing oh you know what my job isn't the most important thing in the world anymore. I have something else now that's more important, and rightfully so. I've, this It's small things now. So for me, I turn off notifications on things on my phone. Mm. I try and not look up my phone after certain times in the evening. I try and get sleep and go to bed and, like, mm. n- you know, use those apps which tell you, go to bed now. Stop <laughs> your phone. No, seriously. Seriously, go to bed now. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, I can't, it's a, it sounds stupid, but it's small things like that that I look at it and I'm like, oh, well, I probably have been working for like 16 hours today. Maybe I should just not look at this and leave that for tomorrow. And you know what? Probably someone's not going to die if I don't answer those emails straight away. Like, mm. But you do get sucked into it because you love it so much and you feel like, I don't know, it's difficult. You feel like if you don't, respond to everything right away then you lose that opportunity but actually you do need to find a work-life balance I mean you're you're a lot better at the, than me I suppose that's as well like I suppose our personalities like I'm probably much better at like like we balance each other out I think mm. and I think that extends to like how we kind of balance work and yeah. life and 
it get it gets muddy though because obviously we are both in this industry and we love hospitality and we love going to restaurants and drinking and eating that's like our favorite pastimes but mm-hmm. you know nine times out of ten we'll go to those restaurants and someone will recognize us yes. and we'll have to start talking shop about blah 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 and it's like some it is quite nice to just like go to the pub and not be no no one knows who you are and you can just enjoy what you're doing yeah. what you've been there for but you know it's it, it's one of those things isn't it like you want the the business to to do well and you try and promote yourself and for that to happen and you become more in a public eye and then the more that that happens the more you're like oh I wish I wasn't so much in the public eye and I could hide away doing x y and z but i never thought about that though that like this true act of pleasure of going out to eat good food and drink good wine which i know both of you deeply love now almost becomes a professional thing if you are getting recognized and have to be like brand anglo tie when you go out right yeah but i mean i think we're very true to ourselves as people and we're very true to the company and the, and essentially anglo tie is us and mm. a lot of people understand that so yeah, it, it comes down to not having to put like facade on when we're going out and doing these yeah. things. What you see is what you get. Even last a week ago, actually, we went to the National Restaurant Awards. It's like oh, yeah. top 100 restaurants in the country. So everyone's there, and we were like, we just took Rufus with yes. us. Amazing. Was like, oh my god, you got Rufus the there. He was amazing. But you know, it probably would have been not more enjoyable, but we would have had a a different experience if we just gone the two of us but yeah. you know we don't have the opportunity to just get childcare last minute yeah. and that means if we decide that one of us is going to go and the other one doesn't but it was like well do we have to do that should we just ask them if it's okay and they're like yeah it's absolutely fine so like, well hopefully no one thinks this is outrageous but we're just going to turn it with our baby then <laughs> that's amazing did he enjoy it he did. I mean, he's very, <laughs> very like flirtatious, I would say now. Like he's been so used to seeing people from basically week one. We took him to a restaurant, I think, in the first week that we had him because we just figured maybe we were mental, but we just figured like, right, we've got the booking. So let's yep. just go and like, see what happens. <laughs> we not really look back. Obviously, you know, you've got you've got children, but there's been hard times and he has meltdowns but Mm. he would have those meltdowns in the privacy of your own home and I mean it's just how you manage that and deal with it I think it's been quite a good learning curve for us anyway in terms of just becoming more patient and becoming more tolerable and it's all stuff that's going to be good for when we have this commercial baby crying at us exactly (laughs) in our lives well, even just on this interview, you guys are passing the baby back and forth, the actual baby. So, you know, I think it's nice that you're going to support each other for the commercial baby also. So yeah, it's super exciting. What would you say is the biggest misconception about what you do? What do you think people see or think from the outside that's completely not true? I think it's becoming much more in the public eye that just how hard hospitality is. And I actually, COVID did do some things to improve that when people just saw that basically the whole industry got decimated overnight. And everyone's complaining, oh, I want to go out to restaurants and stuff. And you're like, well, you know, everyone's under understaffed, underpaid, mm. work incredibly hard hours. And that was like the reality of it all. And I think a lot has changed since then, but there's still a long way to go. For me, I think it's still an interesting conversation about where your food comes from. I think a lot of people just believe that you kind of 
buy everything prepared and you just sort of do a bit of cooking and it ends up on a plate. But and I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of restaurants out there that are like that. But for us, it's very much, I even want to sort of like know the farmer that's rearing the lamb that I'm going to be serving on the plate. And then there's a lot of knowledge that goes in, not from, not only from there, from them and then us learning and then us like giving those messages to our front of house who then deliver the food to the customer to try and kind of enlighten them a little bit about where stuff comes from. So for example, we're actually working with Desiree's uncle, Michael and Betsy. Do you, you I think you, I think I do. Met Michael and Betsy, but I think I've met everyone at some point. But a lot <laughs> yeah. of times at a party with a lot of wine. So <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a West Fest. We were with them a few years ago in Dorset, and they live on a farm. And I saw they had this flock of amazing Hebridean sheep, and I was just like, "Well, you must be doing something with these." What, right. And Betsy was like, "Yeah, we we slaughter them, and we kind of sell them locally." So obviously, my brain started whirling straight away, and I was like, "Wow, like a, quite a." Breed of sheep you don't really come across that often. Mm. Completely like super organic reared because there's about thirty of them, and they're they're like rearing them because they enjoy it, right? Not like intense farming, farming, and that. So I was like, okay, so how do I get one to London, and then how do I get this on the plate? So we ended up getting one. I got one to my butchers. I broke it down, and we had it for Christmas actually. Ooh, yeah. And now I think we will probably try and buy a few sheep from them every year to have on the menu. But things like that, there's something really interesting and really beautiful about those kind of stories where you can say, I've been to the farm, I've seen how this animal is reared and I know the people that rear them and I can tell you a lot of information. If I can't find the answer now, I could probably find it out for you and let you know. And I think people are still starting to, it is coming around slowly, but people still don't really understand where their food comes from a lot of the time. And I think Mm. that's a big message that needs to be changed. Things are getting more and more expensive now as well with Mm -hmm. obviously Brexit and importation is not a good thing. And Mm. we've been riding that one for such a long time. So if people can understand seasonality and supporting their like local farmers and industry, then they can start like not only eating better, but like eating clever and like buying things at a more affordable price yeah. and there's still a long way to go with stuff like that but it's that's some of the part of the the, the journey that I really enjoy and that we're trying to educate people on now I guess I love it and I can't believe uh, I did this call before lunch that was really stupid of me because I'm starving now <laughs> <laughs> and we have been talking for a while I always finish with this question what advice do you both have for people who are maybe at home bouncing their baby up and down like you're doing right now it's serious but <laughs> Have a love for wine, have a love for food, have a love for hospitality. Maybe they're 25, maybe they're 65. What do you think uh, they should do first if they are thinking about maybe could I turn this thing I'm really passionate about into my job? From the kitchen side of things, I think you need to <laughs> you need to be prepared to work some pretty serious hours, which is fine. I, I, I think being in the kitchen, there's nothing more practical than just getting in and, and doing service and learning how to cook from from basics onwards Mm -hmm. it is hard work but it's like I said it's super satisfying I think if if you've got like a burning desire to be creating and trying to be original and that gratification from being able to prepare stuff and serve it to people and see their reaction to it I find that incredibly satisfying it's like something that people can't take away from you and I doubt 
there's that many industries where people go to work every day and get that experience. Yeah, for me, it's like being prepared to do hard work. But once you're there and if you are deciding to do that, my, my biggest takeaway to always tell young chefs is to make sure you try your food. There's, there's nothing more important than tasting the food you're going to serve to people because I see so many chefs just cook it, serve it, and I'm like, is that good? Do you know if it's good? Oh, my God. I think that would be the best bit. Rufus, do you have some advice? <laughs> taste, taste, taste. Yeah. That's probably the same with wine as well. Yeah, it's like, the same with wine. Like when I was learning, everyone was just saying, like, get you just need to taste wine to understand what, what it is and what you like and what you don't like and what you're like. Yeah, just kind of expose yourself as much as possible. Even like you're saying, doing a starch, which is like a sort of free work experience time like just kind of give it a go get yourself out there like see see what sort of environments you like working in and Mm. I suppose that that's the thing it's experience with anything like just giving everything a try really and Mm. I love it it's like my internships doing yeah exactly I'm gonna call them stages it sounds way more fancy and professional if I say I did yeah that's the hospitality (laughs) thing you're never too you're never too old to learn I think and Mm. like be humble with that as well you know just take on board what people are telling you because they've if they've been in the kitchen for 20 years they're probably trying to tell you some good stuff there just be humble with that and and get your head down but yeah it can be quite tough but the the highs are high and the lows tend to be low but they all balance each other out. Love it. Guys, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rufus, for lending me your parents for a little while. So we've got Kintai now out on shelves, available to buy. Go and get it. It is beautiful, and the recipes are amazing. And it's the second best thing to having John actually cook for you is being able to cook his recipes yourself. <laughs> and Anglo Thai coming soon to London near you. So that's exciting. Yeah. Watch this space. And where else can people follow you online if they want to learn more about your work? The things that we probably tend to stay most up to date with is our Instagram channel, which is just Anglo Thai. And we're actually going to be launching a new website fairly soon to coincide with all the restaurant and everything like that. So that's just anglotie.co.uk. But do you follow us on Instagram? You'll get all the immediate updates, I think. All the gas, maybe some Rufus spam, who knows? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, definitely. <laughs> Guys, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us on. Always good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zcast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zippy Books team for their support. You can find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode, any others, future jobs you want me to interview, or burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know that too. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.